Hello, Sacred City Life podcast listeners. Joel Bickford here, deacon of worship at Sacred City and the producer of this podcast. I just wanted to give you a heads up and an apology for the audio quality of this episode. We had a technical difficulty that happened during the recording, but rather than throwing out the episode, I wanted to salvage what I could since Pastor Corey Johnston of Heights Church or Heights Community in Collinsville, Illinois, whom we dearly love, graced us with his presence and a conversation about his life and church planting. So give it a couple minutes and I promise you'll get used to the way it sounds. I trust that our listeners are gospel-centered, grace-filled people who can find it in their hearts to forgive a poor sinner like me. Now roll that beautiful southern guitar riff. pastor of Sacred City Church, and this podcast is all about following Jesus and the everyday rhythms of life, and today is a good day. Today I got my uh, friend, Corey Johnson, from Collinsville? Yeah, Collinsville. Collinsville, Illinois. And uh, for being a friend, I would think you would say with more certainty. Yeah, it's been a long (laughs) time, bro. It's been a long time. I've been in lockdown for way too long. Mm -hmm. Corey is a church planter of the Actually Nine Network, and um, we're going to get to hear a little bit of his story. We're going to talk, talk church planting today, hear a little bit of his story, uh, see what's going on at Heights Church, and then, uh, yeah, just just kind of get filled in on, on all things Heights Church and church planting. So, Corey, welcome yeah. to the podcast, man. Uh, Corey's been at our church several times. He's probably preached at our church probably more than, I bet you preached here more than any other guest preacher. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you haven't offended too many people. I you, I think people just like to hear you come and, and make fun of me. That's what, exactly right, yeah. I would, I uh, particularly enjoy coming and making fun of you. Next to preaching the gospel, I think my second favorite part is just coming and ripping on Justin Dean. Yeah, so. when I'm not in the room. <laughs> when you're not in the room, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're on sabbatical. Exactly. That's like all the time. It's, so. I know. <laughs> so, Corey, give us uh, a quick introduction to how you became a church planter. Um, and I, I want to start there because I think many people in our mind might think, you know, you grow up in a Christian home, you go to seminary, you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But your story is a lot different. So why don't you? Yeah. And so um, I was not raised in church at all, as you know, I mean, you know my story. And so for those that are listening, not involved in church at all, being raised, I was, I was raised by, by addicts. I had five different stepdads. Um, started regularly doing drugs myself in fifth grade, drinking heavily in eighth grade, and that lifestyle continued up in through college. And so you can kind of infer what that would be like, kind of walking through that sort of life. And for me, I uh, woke up in my girlfriend's bed, who's now my wife, and believed in Jesus. And so there wasn't a walk in an aisle. I didn't go to a youth camp. No one passed out a track. I literally woke up and knew that Jesus was better. Um, ironically, the only story I knew of the Bible was uh, Saul's conversion. I don't want to say to Paul per se, but Saul's yeah, yeah. conversion, you know. And uh, and I had this this commonality with him, and I knew that, and that was it. And so, from the moment I woke up, I looked at my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and said, "Hey, I think God called me to be a youth pastor." And she replied you need to change some things about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you do. She doesn't though, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. She was in the clear, obviously. You know. 
quite the raised in the Christian home. My yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was the alderman up here in the Quad Cities, and so she knows uh, the truth. She doesn't yeah, follow yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, right. And so, uh, and so, four months later, I lost all my friends. Eight months later, had a job at a church, and had enrolled in what I had learned about called seminary. I didn't know what seminary meant. You know, turns out it means grad school for Jesus. And so, uh, so in my entrance, even in the seminary. You know, there, you have to write a letter to get in on the Covenant Seminary there, town and country, uh, Missouri. And so uh, I, I started off with saying, you know, my dad died of a cocaine overdose when I was seven years old in a hotel room with a woman who was not my mom. Um, and I laid out, like, my whole story in a you know, much more expansive way than now. And so that's all important because when it comes to church planting, I spent three and a half years working as a youth pastor at a church, as the Lord had called me to. Uh, took a significant pay cut to do that, and then quite literally had that same feeling when it came to church planting. And so uh, I was meeting with Dr. Douglas, who's an incredible professor at Covenant Seminary. He's planted, I mean, been a part of planting almost, I think, 900 churches. Mm-hmm. Like just, I mean, just in the room with people, you know, just an, an incredible man. And he said to me one day, why are you a youth pastor? You should be a church planter. And I thought, no, no way, like no way do I ever want to do that. Well, I mean, the Lord used him and he planted that seed and I couldn't shake it. And uh, lo and behold, you know, just could not shake it, could not shake it. And uh, so I started researching and I came across, you know, Acts 29. And everyone I reached out to called, told me to talk with a guy named Steve Mizell, who uh, was originally part of the journey, their family minister. They sent him to Edwardsville, Illinois, um, to revitalize the church plant. And so he was there right eight miles away from me. And so I reached out to him and he said, you know, kind of sh- shared my whole story with him and uh, asked him, what do I do? And he said, quit your job and raise $100,000. And I said, okay. Easy as that. Yeah, that's it. So that's kind of the, the long short of, of it all. Yeah. Hmm. And um, from there, so let's keep going. So. Quit your job, raise hundred thousand dollars, and then do what? Was that to be a, a church plant resident? Was what was that? What did yep. that look like? Yep. And so I, uh, seven of us went to his church, and I did a year and a half long church planting residency, where he, um, he taught me many things that we could get into right now. One, you know, taught me really what is biblical manhood. Uh, I had not seen that model even working in a church for three and a half years. Uh, he taught me more, uh, more specifically how to take this big toolbox of theological resources the Covenant Seminary gave me, which was uh-huh. incredible, and how to make them practical, how to, how to apply everything that I had learned in light of the gospel and a framework uh, for how the gospel plays out and in the everyday stuff of life and how to use it. And so we spent a year and a half there working closely, meeting, uh, meeting weekly with my team uh, to learn those, those very specific things, how to apply all the theology and use it in a, in a church planting scenario. Yeah, it was an incredible time. So you're there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then, so when, how, how did we meet? Yeah, so we met during that process. And so um, you were the only Acts 29 church at that time. It might be different now. You were the only 829 church in the Quad Cities. And my wife had just happened to be raised in the Quad Cities. And so I was researching, and we were coming up, I believe, for the holidays. 
We met. It was winter out. I feel like it's always winter here, though. It's kind of always winter here. It feels like yeah, <laughs> dreadful place. Yeah, because <laughs> the God's the, the Lord's called you to. Yeah. Uh, and then we went out. I met. I sent you an email. You said you love the meat uh, in a very Justin Dean fashion. You took me out for cigars and brought me an iced red band coffee that uh, changed my life. I shared my story with you, and you said I want to support you. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Cool. Uh, yeah. I. I don't have a very good memory, so I literally don't have any recollection of that, yeah. but that sounds exactly like something I would do. Yeah. Um, how did you des- decide on the model mm-hmm. of church planting? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I, I think I, I get a little, uh, how do I say this? I don't like calling it a model. I want to start there. And, and that's important for what, you know, for me to answer it this way. Because I felt like um, missional community, there are different models of church, and it's very much a model. But for me, personally, missional community was a conviction more than a model. And so for me, missional community is an expression of the gospel. And and as I was researching and reading, uh, just the seven of us during that time together in my residency, we took the first year, just seven of us. So we weren't in a hurry, right? And we just studied the Bible, specifically the book of Acts, and looked at what does the church look like. And as I was studying and reading and not being raised in the church also, um, I realized the church very rarely, (laughs) obviously never, did Jesus say, hey, you did a really good job at gathering 500 people on a weekend and then doing nothing with them throughout the week. And so there has to be more. You know, there had to be more to being a church than just gathering a bunch of folks. And we could have easily gathered a ton of people. The guy who planted with me has led worship I mean, literally all over the United States. He knows hundreds and hundreds of people that would have came. And so we, as we're looking at Acts and saying, like, what do these guys and gals do? Um, it was more than just Sunday. I mean, Sunday's never even mentioned, right? Like, they were going to the temple to give a defense for the gospel. Um, and so for us, it was just a conviction of, we, we know we can gather people. That's, that's really not that hard to do. But what are we going to do with them throughout the week? And it, and it became like, well, we're going to teach them how to walk out the gospel in the everyday stuff. We want them to be gospel fluent where they eat, where they work, where they play, where they sleep, where they work out. We want them to think the gospel is a framework. And then if they're thinking through the gospel as a framework for life, then mission will be the byproduct of that. Yeah. And we're going to be attracted to Jesus. So. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> I know when I use the word um, model, that's kind of, uh, that's like insider language. That's sure. like what church planters yeah, yeah. say when they get together. And because there are a lot of different models out there, and for those of you who are listening, if you don't know about it, like there's what's been called the Willow Creek model based off of Bill Hybels up in Chicago, and there is the purpose-driven model from Rick Warren, and there is the Andy Stanley model, and there's all these different models. And then there, we, you know, then we get lumped in there, and sometimes they just call us the Soma, the model. Soma yeah. model. Right. Yeah. Um, but we, 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 we want to say, actually, we, we would just like to be called the biblical one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, because, we, yeah, yeah we, we're getting our conviction yeah. straight from Scripture. And this this year has kind of revealed um, mm. that, that those, those Sunday morning-centric gatherings have been the hardest hit mm. gatherings because they're scrambling, trying to figure out how do we, this is all we do. And how do we keep doing what we're doing? Where mission opinion models, we've had to change some things, but we're still gathering throughout the week. And so we haven't been impacted as as uh, intensely, and we've still been making disciples. Yeah. You know, like where some people have just like literally 
not they just stopped making disciples. Mm-hmm. And, and and what do you do when people just don't want to watch your watch your thing online? Yeah. Right. Well, we're yes. still involved in people's lives. We're still meeting. We're still gathering in smaller communities. We're still invested in, in making disciples. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, even in light of that, like we, so we, sh- so Illinois, from you know, the specific here, in Illinois, we shut down the Sunday of our six-year celebration as a church. We didn't get to gather. So COVID is, there's a lot to be mourned and grieved, right, in COVID, and that was one of our things. And so the week we had to close down was our six-year, we had this, you know, cupcakes order, big birthday <laughs> party, you know what I mean, you celebrate, we do big, you guys do big celebrations as well. And what was incredible about that, in light of what we're talking about, is that while we do, we do a really clean gathering, it's good, it's well, and it's well done. It's important to gather. We're not downplaying that. I think it's important to say that we talk about missional community because people will hear you downplaying Sunday. Yes. It's not what we're doing at all. We're talking about how to be strategic throughout the week. Um, the most encouraging thing about closing down was that whenever I sent out the, the message, I said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna just meet in homes, uh, meet with your missional community homes." And then I said, you know, the governor wants, to, wants us to meet in smaller groups. So we need 17 additional homes to open up to house our people. And literally, in under a minute, I had 17 or more text messages of people that were willing to open their homes so that their missional communities could multiply and enter into their homes so they could meet in a safe space before we even really knew what was going on. Yeah. And so it's incredible because, as I said, on one hand, grieving the loss of a six-year celebration I was simultaneously celebrating the gospel like advancement, like the vision of what we had set out, you know, years ago, a few years ago to do and to see our people understand like missional community is not just not just a model, but missional community is about multiplying the gospel, multiplying disciples, and just being a church that multiplies churches, you know, in light of church planting as a whole. It was nothing, it was not strange for our folks to say, Well, what's been given to us has been given to us from the Lord. And so let's just let's just use it for his kingdom. Yeah. And it was so, I mean, just really encouraging, super encouraging to see. That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> That's awesome. <clears throat> so, what do you think about, um, church planting as opposed to, so, so now you're, you're eight, eight years? Did you say six years? Well, we're six years planting, two years of that. We studied together for two years, built our launch team, and then launched six years ago. Okay. So you're six years in. Now that you're six years in, is your goal to just continue to grow and kind of get get bigger and bigger and bigger and do what you're doing now but better? Or is, is your goal to church plant again? Yeah, we most certainly want to be, a, as we would call, a multiplying church. And so just like we want to always be multiplying leaders, we also then want to be multiplying ourselves. We want to multiply church planters. And so... Um, for us, we most certainly have a goal of, of planting um, four churches in the next five years. Uh, we have a church planting resident um, right now. We have a few other prospective church planting residents to be coming in. Uh, through something we were talking about earlier with the, the institute that we're designing. And so, uh, so in that, the goal is to keep planting churches that plant churches. And so we want to set an aggressive goal four and five years. Like it's okay, For us, it's okay if we don't hit that goal, just to be clear. Um, but we always want to be putting it out in front of our people. Um, we don't want to just have, for us specifically, our own conviction. We don't want to just have another big church in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, but we why not? A church. Well, COVID is a really perfect example as to why not, right? And so we had, as we were talking earlier, 
you know, we have a church in our community that gathers close to 2,000 people on a weekend, and now their church is gathering less than ours, you know, under 200 people. And so part of that is um, whenever you have a church that's focused primarily on Sunday, and it's, in this case, lacking discipleship throughout the week, and the people just are effectively running for the hills. Like they're uncertain of how to be the church because they've not been equipped as to how to be the church. And so our personal desire then is to not just have converts, um, but to create disciples. And even within our own church, specifically in Heights Community, um, we, as a marker for our church, we want to create what we call missional strategists behind the scenes. And so converts are, are great, but we want to see people being disciples, actually learning God's word, and then thinking strategically in light of mission. And I think if we're doing those things, like why would we also not want to have other church plants and other church planting pastors like in other communities doing the same things that we're doing? Yeah. Why would we just want to hoard all the resources and all the people and all the time or just have campuses that just have our name on them? Again, not opposed to that, but for us specifically, we don't want that. Uh, we want to continue to multiply everything and with open hands, give what the Lord has given us out to the community so people can live on mission. <clears throat> yeah, it seems like over the last 20 years, one of the things that, that blows me away is when you drive through the Quad Cities, you, there's a lot of churches, right? But all of the churches, mo- almost all of the churches, they only seat about 200 people, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 the sanctuary only seats about 200 people. There's, there's not very many churches in the Quad Cities that are, that, are that, that are bigger than that. And what happened over the last 20 years is a lot of those small churches, um, they lost their mission, they lost their purpose, mm-hmm. they lost the gospel. And then someone, I'm just going to use names now, someone like Harvest comes in and they start preaching the gospel and all of these kind of nominal Christians in these kind of dead or dying small little congregations mm-hmm. go and they gather in this huge, this, you know, this, this now it becomes this, you know, megachurch, becomes this megachurch thing. And so you've got, I mean, people from Muscatine, people from, Eldridge, people from DeWitt, all around the Quad Cities, and they all kind of empty these small churches and they go to a megachurch. Now, um, that happens in every city across the United States. It seems like one of the things that COVID has has, has kind of unveiled is maybe the uh, there's some there's some cracks in the foundation of that of that strategy, right? Of just gathering nominal Christians or gathering other Christians into one big building where now people are afraid to go to, to go to these big buildings or the government can come in and say, you can't, you can only gather 20%, 30%, 50%. Now this, this is all. And so I think there's a, what you're getting at is there's a pragmatic reason for the church for, for planting churches. Um, I think it's, it's better to have a lot of, it's better to have 10 churches of 200 people than to have one of 2000, right? Um, they can be more localized. They can be more contextualized. Um, you've got you've got ten pastors now rather than just one pastor, um, because one of the things that we've seen in the past couple of years is when that one guy over that megachurch goes down, what happens to that church? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so I think. It, but what are some? So that re- that kind of reveals some pragmatic reasons why church planting is better for a city or maybe just just better overall, better strategy. Um, but what are some theological reasons? For yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about, obviously, the Great Commission. You know, 
I can't imagine. Um, I just can't imagine Jesus being completely satisfied with the gospel remaining in one area. Like that's not even you can't even fulfill the Great Commission with that, right? And so there's there's this constant sending that Jesus has called us to. Um, as you as you read through the Great Commission, right, it goes further and further out past your borders, past your hometown, into your cities, and so just theologically speaking, I mean, that's the primary way that we've been called to advance the gospel is through the spreading of the gospel. And so, you know, I think of a simple uh, quote, was it a Spurgeon quote, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Boom. And so it's not just our responsibility to make disciples, but as I was saying earlier, like missional strategists. And as you're growing the church and growing the church, you know, it's our conviction that I don't want to have 2,000, I don't personally want 2,000 people at our church. I would much rather spread the gospel throughout my region. And so for us in the St. Louis Metro East, it's 80% unreached. And you have town, little town after town after town. Like, I'm three towns away from where I did my residency, but I'm only eight miles away. And so there's all these, um, all this area in there, man, where I think I mean, the harvest is plentiful, right? It's, it's there, and we have great gospel resources to share with those communities. Like, why wouldn't I want to do that? Yeah. Why wouldn't I get back to what I said earlier, really simply? Like, why wouldn't I want people to experience what it feels like to be the church all throughout the week? Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things that's unique that most people don't realize is church plants reach unbelievers at an exponential rate than established churches do. And when I know when we were first planting, I always joke that it felt like Lord of the Flies because we had so many new converts, so many brand new believers, so many baptisms. We are, you know, five times as big as we were that first year. But we had more baptisms that first year than we've had any other year since. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it's more of a sociological reason, I think, or maybe it's just a missional impulse. And But church plants reach unbelievers better than established churches do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, there's, I think that there's non-believers obviously have a stigma, a stereotype in mind. And whenever you come in and you are excited and you're passionate and you're talking about people come to faith and baptisms and there's a zeal about you when you're casting vision for this thing that's called the bride of Christ. You know, I think that there is naturally an attraction to that where established church pastors get into a rhythm of systems and pro programs and um, a calendar, you know, and even that, I think a lot of times you have these established church pastors that have stopped thinking about um, church planting. They kind of lo lose that zeal even for the non-believer. And so I, I think for me personally, like when I think about planting churches that plant churches, I'm, I'm simultaneously thinking, well, how do I reach the lost in my community? Which then by default puts me in a position to want to be around the lost in my community. Yeah. Right. And so if I could, I could just be stagnant and plant our church and be happy with 350 people and, you know, just kind of coast into the kingdom. But I feel like it's a really poor ecclesiology whenever God has equipped us with all these incredible gifts and then gives us this passion, this desire to be able to preach and proclaim the gospel to the lost. And then we get to see the lost come, man. You know, we did seven baptisms. Like, we just baptized seven people during COVID, you know, and multiplied two missional communities. Yeah. And, like, that's incredible, right? Like, that's super fun and exciting. While a lot of these established churches, like we've talked about, they're so focused on right now and focused on Sunday and focused on budgets and getting people into the space. That they're, I mean, they're shutting one out. Of, uh, Barnes says one out of five churches right now will no longer exist. Yeah, um, we're part. We're also part of you know the Southern Baptist and part of Sin St. Louis specifically, 
I just had a conversation in, um, with a guy who oversees the Southern Baptist in uh, Oklahoma. And he said 75% of the churches that he had to reach out to, 1,500 pastors, 75% of them, he said, said they will, they will not open their doors until there's an all clear from COVID-19. 75% of 1,500 people, 1,500 pastors, right? Like there's, so what, where's the passion? Where's the yeah, zeal? well, that's where's the thing. The, you know, I, think, I think for one of the greatest problems with the ministry as a whole is it, it attracts lazy people who just want a white collar job and they want, or maybe they even like to get up on stage and feel important. And that's another reason I hate the attractional model is because it creates guys, it creates little movie stars. It creates little celebrities that want to get up on stage and feel, feel yeah. important. Yeah. And they don't really want to reach. They're not really practitioners. They're not really hard workers. They're not really laborers. Right. And, um, and I think that's, um, one of the blessings of church planter is being a church planter is you're just a farmer man. you're just out there in the fields, mm -hmm. um, making disciples and, uh, and well, just could, doing the hard work. I mean, could you just imagine Paul, if Paul only planted the church in Philippi? Yeah. Like, I mean, I just feel like if you, there's no way you can read the epistles right. and think I should be satisfied. Yeah. Like I should just, you know, I should build up a, build up a safe budget, build up a safe number of people and coast into retirement. Like there's no way that you can read the epistles alone or the book of Acts <laughs> yeah. as they're getting put in jail. Right. You know, and and think, yeah, you know, I think uh I think now that my four hundred one K is solid, I think I'll just coast out here for a little while. You know. There's no way you can glean that from the scriptures. Right. This is not the Great Commission. Yeah. It's so it's so strange. And I think many people they grow up knowing about church, but not really about church planting. Oh yeah, that's hundred percent. You know, and so they, when I say that I'm a church planter, I get all kind of weird looks, you know, like, what, what does that mean? Uh, and people often think that means like, you know, you're leading a cult or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get both, don't you? Cause you get some folks that are like, look at you, like you just said, you're a terrorist. And then you get other folks like, you know, um, I had a conversation the other day where I told someone like, what do you do? You're a pastor. I'm like, I'm a pastor, but I'm more so a church planter. And they're like, well, what's that? And I they were a non-believer inside so just was talking to them. I was like, well, think about like a, uh, like a philanthropist, non-for-profit that does, and I kind of just laid out what the church did, you know, and I was like, and we want to start those in communities. And, uh, and then the way that they took that was completely different than like the, the terrorist look that you can get whenever you're like, oh, I, I start cults basically is what people hear. Yeah. And so it was cool because back to what we said earlier, like that passion, that desire that church planning has that's attractive to non-believers in that moment. They're like, oh, so you're not just about gathering a crowd, you know? And, like, we got to be a part of it. Maybe you guys got to be a part of this in the Quad Cities, but uh, this whole Farmers to Families food distribution, you know, we passed out uh, 600,000 pounds of food in the last 10 weeks. You know, it's just been incredible. And so we've had a, a great deal of non-belief. I mean, we had 2,000 people in line for food, you know, yeah. just last week. The mile, it was over two miles long is how long the line was for people to get food. And man, it's just been like really cool to get to talk with people about like this church yeah. planning and for them to see the passion and be themselves like that'd be contagious to them. Opposed to just being like, yeah, we're just another church in the community doing food distribution. That's so good, man. And that's, that's really what drives me too is just, I love people coming to faith. I love apologetics. I love talking with unbelievers. 
I love being around unbelievers. That's why I'm always, you know, you know me. Uh, CrossFit, getting people in my garage, being at the CrossFit gyms. Now I'm doing jujitsu. I'm there mm-hmm. to get a black belt, but I'm also there to, to make disciples. And and my passion for seeing people come to faith has led me to plant churches. Yeah. And then my passion to plant more churches has led me to invest in guys like you mm-hmm. and um, do what we've done in Kenya. And so kind of on down on down the line. But really, it all is. And that's just like, I know Spurgeon has influenced me like just, what he would just say souls. Mm-hmm. Souls, souls, souls. That's mm-hmm. what I want to see. You know, I'm passionate for souls. Yeah. Um, so tell me what, so far, where you? How have how is Sacred City? How have we worked th- together? How is Sacred? Most most people listen to this podcast are from Sacred City. We don't talk about uh, Heights Church too much at Sacred City. We don't talk about the church, other church plants that we support. Um, just give us an update, real quick. How has Sacred City uh, impacted you or helped Heights Church? You know, how is that oh, relationship? Yeah, that's easy. yeah, yeah, it's true. We, that's another thing we don't. We should probably celebrate stories more often together, should we? And so, well, first initially, talking about that church plant residency, I mean, you guys gave us at least $12,000 to keep, you know, to get rolling as a church. So that's a huge deal. Unfortunately, in America, it, it takes money to make disciples in America. I have, I have family, I have bills to pay, and you all support us financially in that, getting us uh, hooked up with Fishers of Men Ministry. And so I bet the, the people in your church probably don't realize, like, Heights has a mango field there. And so we went and we put a, you guys have put a well in, mm-hmm. we put a mango field in to create mm-hmm. jobs for people there. We're also then in the process of building a school in that same community. I don't know if you guys, or Joshua gets to talk with you guys about that at all, but uh, we're starting fifth grade right now and we're doing through standard eight. So we've given like, you know, well, $8,000 yeah, to the class. You've done every year, you've done a new yeah. class, right? Yeah, you've so built we're, class. we're almost $50,000 that we've um, given specifically to Fishers and Men and and so, like, that's that's huge because apart from Sacred City, would we have gotten connected with Fishers and Men Ministry? Apart from Sacred City's generosity in the very early stages, would we have thought as generous about church planning and giving outside of that? And then what's beautiful is you supported us for two years, and then whenever Sam went to plant, we then, in turn, supported Sam to plant. And mm-hmm. so the kingdom, just resources kept flowing. And then uh, I always like to take credit for this. I know it's the spirit, but... Uh, I was the one that found out that the building was for sale. That's right. And our family was the was raised in that church building, you know. Yeah. And so it's just this beautiful connection where, like, I, I want to be clear in saying it's like, it's incredible to see God's sovereignty. Because who would have thought that Red Band iced coffee and a cigar would have led to a school in Kenya? Oh, I would have for sure. <laughs> of course C- you would. A yeah. cigar, <laughs> cigar leads to everything. Of though. course. But think no. about Think about That's how, crazy, right? Think about how deeply the Lord cares for His people. That in His sovereignty, He calls you to plant, calls you to stop planting, actually, to go do a residency, to come back plant healthy, to do all these things to walk out your own sanctification. But then came to us, and then all these new relationships are built, and all these new, you know, just I mean, think about how much He allowed and wanted to orchestrate so that people could come to faith. It's incredible. It's amazing, dude. And uh, I don't, I'm horrible at looking backwards. And uh, I mean, I've tried to build a rhythm in our church to look back every year at the you know, first sermon of the year. We always look back at that year. Mm-hmm. And I do want to celebrate, but I'm not very good at it. Um, but when I do, I'm very thankful to the Lord. But what gets me really amped is to think about what's he going to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and four churches in five years, 
um, that's that's amazing. That that's a huge goal, and I think that's that'd be amazing to see it happen. Uh, I want to see God plant more churches here in the Quad Cities, and more people come to faith. And so, and maybe somebody listening to this podcast is like, you know, a young idiot like you sleeping with yeah, his girlfriend, right. sinning, and wakes up tomorrow and says, "I think I'm called to be a church planter." Yeah, that's it. And that that gets me really stoked that God, um, God uses the Sauls, God uses the Corys, God uses the the Justins, God uses whoever that is out there that's thinking about it. Maybe God is calling you to plant a church or go to seminary or do Porterbrook or lead a yeah. missional community. Um, that gets me pretty excited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we just spent Sunday in the sermon just inviting our church. And I would do the same even for people that are listening on the podcast. We just asked them to like put their hands out in front of them and just ask, God, what would you do with me? Because if the church, and this is the, the beautiful part about being a church planner is that thing, something like COVID comes, and while it is an obstacle, it's, we view it as opportunity, yeah. right? And so we know, looking at our culture, the, the culture has shifted overnight. And in that, we just ask our people to ask the Lord, what would you have me do differently than what I've done in the past? Because the way I'm leading now, the way I'm thinking about being the church now, it is, it's changed. Yeah. It has to change. And so even like people listening to the podcast and in Sacred City and, and even you, Justin, like, I would encourage to spend time this week just hands, hands out, asking to receive a word from the Lord and say, what would you have me do as your bride to fulfill the, the mission while I'm here? Yeah. And if that looks different, just make it clear. Yeah. And just sit and wait for the Lord to respond. It's good. Yeah. Oh, man, well, I'm thankful for you, brother. Yeah, likewise. Um, first time I met you, I do remember this. I, I never would have thought that you'd be here right now. <laughs> 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 you, were, you were too chill. That you were too chill. It was discouraging. <laughs> I'm like, this guy, I don't think he got it. He's too chill. Hey, I still landed that 500 bucks a month for two years. That's so. true. That's true. I'm going to bet on you, bro. I bet on you, but I didn't know. Yeah. Um, like a surfer dude who's just kind of like, bro, what's up, dude? I was like, I don't know if he can make it happen. Mm. But the Lord the Lord has yeah. done it. And I'm, I'm proud of the work that you've done and proud of the work that you're doing. And, yeah. uh, yeah, just excited to see what God's going to do in these next few years. So thanks for coming yeah. on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, you know what to do. Just like us, share us, and give us a review on uh, iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. It helps more people find us. Hopefully this was helpful and you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. Mm-hmm.